Welcome to episode 55 of From the Shed End podcast with myself, T-Dot, as always. Theo, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Good, good. Um, enjoyed my my birthday yesterday. Spent some time with the family. Uh, 25 years old now, which still hasn't really sunk in. was quite scary to hear, but um, but no, otherwise I'm good. Enjoyed the Chelsea game. What could enjoy from it on um, Wednesday night and glad to be in the quarterfinals. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Recovering, obviously. Yeah. You know, just, just saying, you know, luckily it wasn't COVID. But um, yeah, feeling feeling better than I did two days ago um, during the looting game. Um, that literally wiped me out completely. But um, I, I did manage to stay awake for the first half just about with Melangsar's um, awful performance, which we're going to get onto anyway. But um yeah, you know, as always, guys, if you're listening on YouTube or, or watching on Spotify, watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify, let's get that right first of all. Um, you can follow us um, from at from the shed end on on Instagram and Twitter, and also on YouTube as well. And don't forget to search for us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts as well. You should be able to find us on there. But let's get straight into it because there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of days. Really, I think if you go back to um, the League Cup final, when we got that sort of initial news around the trustees were going to be involved and um, we're going to be in charge of basically of the club um, whilst we're in Roman's absence. Since then, we've always had some more developing stuff around the fact that confirmation was given to the well, to the world, I suppose. Um, was it Wednesday before the game, the looting game? So, yeah. you know, that Roman is looking now to sell the club. It's official. The official statement comes out. It does seem very sort of, I mean, I'm going to shut up. I want to hear your thoughts. Let me, let me hear your thoughts on it. Uh, I mean, it's obviously very sad. We've got to start off with that sad news. I think everybody in world football knows how passionate, committed, engaged Roman Abramovich was as an owner. Like his statement showed, he wasn't in it for the money, the business side of things. He was in it because he was a fan of the club. He felt a passion for Chelsea Football Club. And you could see it. He travelled to games home and away when he could. He was there in all the finals, Moscow, Munich, uh, Porto, and just the emotions at full time in all three of those finals. You could tell what it meant to him. He was a fan before anything else. So it's sad. It's really sad. And I just know that we're not really going to be able to replace that passion and that engagement and that commitment, regardless of the owner we bring in. You look at all the owners elsewhere, Stan Kroenke, the Glazers, um, they're not as passionate as Roman Abramovich was. So from that side, it's sad. We can only thank him for what he's given us because none of that would have been possible without Roman. He's created an empire. He's, he's created what arguably what are the, is, was the golden era of Chelsea the last 20 years or so. He's brought in some amazing players, the likes of Drogba, Fabregas, uh, Kante, Aiden Hazard, managers as well, Jose Mourinho, Conte, uh, Thomas Tuchel, all of those managers and players would not have been possible about Roma and the trophies as well to bow out in February with the Club World Cup is the perfect ending to the, you know, what's been a fairy tale for 20 years in a way. So you can only thank him for that. In terms of the actual timing of the news, it just felt it was probably it felt a bit pushed in a way. It had to come out at some point. It felt like it was only a matter of time. Uh, the timing felt a bit awkward, maybe an hour before kickoff on Wednesday night. Uh, you don't know if the players or the manager would have given, been given the news a bit earlier. I think Tuchel did mention in his um, post-interview um, that um, he was told the news earlier in the day. But either way now, it's kind of leaves us in a bit of a weird situation with summer transfer activity. The contracts of Azpilicueta, Christensen and Rudiger are probably up in the air now. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with um, Bruce Buck and um, and Marina Granovskova. 
So it's a bit of a tricky one there. But um, like I said, we can only thank him because he's honestly given us so much. I mean, I being a, uh, and yourself, we probably we did support Chelsea well before the Roman era, but um, he kind of gave us probably the best football years of our lives. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, I mean, you, you know, with everything going on in the world, you cannot understand why this is happening. Um, I think, you know, it's something that has always kind of been floated around anyway before um, before now. You know, this is, this has been something that has been mentioned previously before um, a few, a few years ago now. I think there was, there was um, rumors or, or, you know, alleged conversations taking place for the sale of the club. So uh, I think what you just summed up at the end of there is probably the the perfect way, which um, when people have asked me the last couple of days, what do I think? That is it. You know, I supported this club well before Roman came into the club. Um, you know, people go, oh, you know, we were, we were a mid-table team before Roman. We weren't, you know, we won trophies. We won, we won FA Cups. We won the, the, the UEFA um Club Winners' Cup, was it? Cup, cup, cup Winners' Cup. And, and, and I think, you know, we've won trophies. We've, we've finished respectively quite high in the league for, for the team that we had as well. Um, so, yes, we didn't have the money behind us. And I think people need to understand that football has changed a lot since, you know, 19 years ago when Roman took over the club. So, yes, he will sell the club. He's not going to sell it to, you know, a, a Barry Fry or, a, you know, a, someone who do you know what I mean like times have changed so someone who comes in to take the club over yes they're going to want to make a profit yes they might use it as a franchise but I think they still have to inject some money into that club and that that's the, the hope that I'm hoping for that they actually don't just see this as a you know a, a, a sort of um a cash cow, you know, something mm. that they can just get, get a bit of money out of and, you know, make themselves a bit more richer. You know, I think that's one thing that Roman did very well. You know, when he first came on board, um, you could tell that he was about the club. He wanted to, to make the club successful and not just the club. You think about the surrounding area of Stamford Bridge, the Chelsea village under the bridge, um, there's so many things that Roman was, was was responsible for, you know, and helped build around that Co- club as well. Cobham as well, Cobham training Cobham. facility. Yeah, you know, there's so much that you know the women's team as well. You you got to you got to include a lot of that, and that a lot, you know, a lot of it goes down to Roman. So yes, there are things politically that you know I'm not even going to get into because I don't I don't know the ins and outs of them to to an extent. Um, but I do think you know there's things that he's done that are very good for the club um, that. You know, we wouldn't have all the success without Roman. Yeah. And um, I don't, I, you know, I said on someone else's podcast the other day, I, I don't think we're ever going to get an owner like yeah. Roman Abramovich again. Not in our lifetime yeah. anyway. You know, we've had 20 years of it. And to say we're going to get another 20 years of that for me is, it, it just doesn't happen like that. So um, you mentioned there around some of the, I mean, again, I'm, I'm this is pro- probably why, before I said to you, I didn't really want to speak about this, but I don't know much about the other um, potential buyers so I don't want to come on here and pretend that, you know, like I see a lot of people online, you know, I, I know about this person. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know that much about them. Um, I know bits about them. Um, but, you know, can, can, can you see someone coming in and potentially not necessarily changing much at the club? Can you see them coming in and trying to keep things as they are? I mean, it's going to be a transitional period anyway. In any handover, there's that transitional period where you... Um, you know, this, the backroom staff might stay on or the, the the hierarchy might stay the same, but eventually, you know, you phase out the old hierarchy and bring in your own. But can you see any of that happening? Can you see Marina staying, Bruce Buck staying, you know, Petacek still keeping his role as well? 
I was just reading before this call that Petr Cech uh, briefed the whole team yesterday about what's going, what to expect, what's going to happen, about the transition of the, the, the ownership of the club. I, I do expect some changes. There'll be some fresh faces coming in. It could be four people you know, co-owning the club, which seems like it's the case with this Swiss billionaire who wants to co-own it, I think, alongside one of the co-owners of the LA Dodgers, mm. um, which I don't really like the idea of. He's this fancy, the Swiss guy is 86 this guy who owns the, the, I mean, I don't I, 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 I know what you mean. He's 86 in a way. I want someone who's engaged, who's committed, who's around Cobham, who's around the Stanford Bridge. And I can't really see that when you're 86. <laughs> By the sounds of it as well, he's been criticizing Roman Abramovich um, yeah. recently, which doesn't really go well with the Chelsea fans. I don't want any kind of American styled owner, um, NFL and MLB or whatever it's called. It just seems like they kind of treat it more as a toy or a business rather than a, an actual passion for the club. Um, there's a lofty Mansour, Egyptian, 33-year-old billionaire who's a season ticket horror at Stamford Bridge. Um, could be quite interesting. Another option, uh, Rad- Sarah, Sarah Jim Radcliffe, who, who tried to buy the club, I think, in 2018 or 2019. Mm. Richest man in England. Again, that could be an option. He's a, he's a big Chelsea fan, season ticket holder as well. So I do want that kind of person who feels a bit of an attachment, a bond to the club. But like you said, no one's going to properly replace Roman. Um, we just have to listen to John Terry's farewell speech in 2017 when he mentions from the under eights all the way to the women's team and the men's first team. He was there. He's responsible for that success. But what kind of really pleases me is we've got all the foundations in place, regardless who's come in. We're kind of seen now as a top European club. We've got some amazing players for the years to come, the likes of Mason Mount, the likes of Kai Havertz, the likes of Reese James. We've got a brilliant youth academy. We've got um, an amazing manager who's probably going to be here for many years to come, you'd hope. And also we've got that poor power for regardless of who's the owner, how much money they kind of want to invest in the club. Just being playing for Chelsea is going to be really attractive to players. We're going to look to sign in the, you know, the coming summer windows. So all the foundations are there. But like I said, we just want a manager who's committed and engaged. I don't expect it to be to the level of Roman Abramovich, but you know, we want that certain level. Yeah, it's it's it is worrying. I, I you know I hear both sides of the, the coin, and I think it is worrying because you, you know you do want someone who's going to come in and have that maybe not that same level like you just said, not that level of commitment as Roman Abramovich, but someone who understands the project, understands what we're trying to still build at Chelsea. What we're trying to see is the the you know in our lifetime the, the legacy that we want to see as Chelsea fans, um, but. It does question you, you mentioned earlier around you know the fact that we still haven't got three three of our key players in terms of Aspia Quetta, Rudiger, um, Andreas Christensen. We haven't got them nailed down to contracts. What does that mean for them? Does that mean that they now think you know rather than sit around and see what happens, do, do, do I need to go and find football elsewhere and secure you know a two or three year contract somewhere else? Uh, you know, in a, at another club where I'm, I'm guaranteed a bit more safety. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, oh, I'm a bit. I I cannot. I think I still stand with the idea that Christmas and Aspilicueta will end up leaving, and I really hope that Rudiger signs that deal. Whether the change of ownership affects any of those free contract extensions or departures, I don't know. But um, it's only a matter of time. Time will tell. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know Thomas Tuchel said it as well in his press conference today that obviously I think one of the questions I was asked him, you know, does this kind of rip up your transfer, your, your summer transfer strategy? What did, what you wanted in, and he almost kind of said, yeah, it does. Um, but 
to be fair, mm. they weren't looking that far ahead anyway, but I'm sure there were plans in place. You know, a couple of names would have been on a list of, mm. you know, a piece of paper or whatever, an iPad um, that they would have wanted in the summer or maybe looked to try and um, strengthen in certain areas. But, you know, all of that does go out the window now because it could be an owner that comes in that doesn't actually want to spend the first season. He wants to see what he's got at the club. He wants to see what he can do with the club. Or It, it, is, wor- it is worrying as a Chelsea fan. I, I do get that. And I hear, hear some of the fan base say that, you know, it is, you know, dark times. And it, I, I do hear that side of it. But you know me already, you know, I have to mm-hmm. look on the positive side of things. And I, I just can't, like I said, you know, I supported the club well before Abramovich. So the money came, comes, money goes, but the club and the badge is still there. You know, I think that's what we have to, we have to rely on. So it is exactly. going to be, I think, you know, I read earlier this morning, you know, that they want to try and get a, um, a, an offer to, to Roman before the weekend's out and then try and get something in place before the uh, early start of next week. I'd be very surprised, you know, I, I don't deal in, in retail. I don't deal in, in selling of businesses, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of contractual stuff that you need to go through and, um, you know, governance that you need to go through, be able to just, you know, this isn't eBay. So I don't know if you can just go on and, and put a bid in and the club's yours. So we'll have to see what happens from here. No, spot on. Um, just one last thing I wanted to say about this topic is how poorly the media have treated Chelsea in this whole oh, yeah, last yeah, yeah. week or two media even online social media I've had fans send me articles how Chelsea are going to get relegated next season due to their poor form end up you know poorly run like a Tottenham or a Man U um, even Alan Shearer and Mika Richards way they spoke yeah. about and, Chelsea and Gary Lineker as well and Gary Lineker I'm big fans of all three of them but they honestly made a fool's out of themselves they embarrassed themselves Alan Shearer criticising Roman Abramovich and you know his background the, the way Chelsea are run but he's isn't he used to play for Newcastle? Oh, he's awesome. He's he's probably yeah. He's got a heavy. Yeah, he played for them. He, he managed played them. for them. He managed them. He, he probably still supports them. them. And they're run by the Saudi nations, that Saudi state. Who look at if Manchester I'm not, City as well. Look at Manchester City and Saudi Arabia. If I'm not mistaken, are responsible for a genocide in the Yemen. They're yeah. responsible for killing journalists abroad as well. It's yeah. they're not probably doing themselves any famous in the human rights department. So I think Alan Shearer should have a long, hard look at himself in the mirror after what he said on um, Wednesday let's evening. Let's see if they sit, sit at the uh, the desk uh, 2022 World Cup and see what yeah. happens then, because yeah. you know they, they'll be happy to take pay, paychecks then and happy to get paid to go you know talk about the World Cup then, and it won't be it won't be disgraceful then because of course we're getting paid. But you know. It, this is this is why it's it for me. I have to be careful what I say because if I say stuff, mm. I'll get in trouble. But <laughs> it's just it's just weird how we, you know we focus on one part of war, but we don't see other wars as wars. No. Exactly, so it, exactly. It's so, it's so annoying um, when it when it concerns Western media and oh, Europe. Europe, obviously, the spotlight's there. But when things happen with people of different color skin in Africa, yeah. Asia, Middle East, people just turn the blind eye. Doesn't, even get, a doesn't no. even get a mention, you know. Yeah. And th- this is what's frustrating. And this isn't me trying to downplay what's happening no, in the Ukraine. Of course. It's 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 bad, you know. People are losing their lives, but we just have to put things into a, a lot of perspective here. And you know, we we can't go on one TV station and say this is bad, but on you know one side of the world this is happening, and we just all sit down and say nothing. So it's one or the other. Do we just mm-hmm. ignore everything, or do we we pick up and say? Look, this is wrong. We need to do yeah. something. You know, I'm, I'm, I read this morning they're taking vodka off the shelves in Tesco. It's like. I just my, the, world's, uh, the world's going mad. It is going my, my brother's mad. company have just sacked two thousand five hundred Russian uh, employees. <laughs> just I, like that. I, I just like that. To, I mean, I'm not 
smiling or giggling because I think it's funny. I just think, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those conversations that uh, I will get in trouble for if I give yeah. my real but opinions. We're here to talk about football. Aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to end up getting in trouble. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting in terms of, uh, Roman Abramovich, what happens, um, beyond Roman. It's sad, you know, because it's, it's almost, it's almost a part of, I suppose, mate, I'm a bit older than you. It's almost a bit, like, it's a part of your life. It's a part of your childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, for you, yeah. probably a bit, being a bit younger, it's growing up and, you know, you, you've supported Chelsea before Roman Abramovich, but those good years are probably the years that you'll focus on because of the, the, the players that we brought in, the players that we signed, the managers that we had there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be weird. Obviously, having a new owner. This isn't like having a new manager. They the turnover as Chelsea fans we're used to that. But an owner is something that you just you know when you get one that's good. You know you want to try and keep him till mm. until the day that he's not able to to be the owner anymore. But, yeah, the, yeah. The last thing I'll say about Ramon Abramovich is just I always remember. I think it was my first trophy parade when we won the Premier League in two thousand and four. And it was the open top top bus parade down the Fulham Road. And he was sat at the front of the bus with the trophy, with the players, with Jose Mourinho. Says it, all. it says it all. Finally, one other owner who'd be up on that bus with the rest of the players. No one. We won't get another one. There's, there's, no, there's not another Roman Abramovich out there in, in any sport, anything. There isn't another one. So if anyone can find me one, let me know. Let's try and get him at Chelsea. But there isn't one. So... Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a sad day. But let's go back to Wednesday, uh FA Cup, Luton, um Kenilworth 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 Road. Let's get that right. I can't get my teeth in today. Um poor performance. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start this one. Poor performance first half. I can't really talk about second half, but for, poor performance. I thought Malang saw well talk talk to me about the lineup actually, because Ruben Loftus Cheek played a, a a strange role in my opinion. But what did you think about the lineup when you when you saw Ruben Loftus Cheek uh in the role that he was in? I mean, like any two core lineup, it's almost impossible to predict it twenty four hours before kickoff. Uh, we were still a bit unsure about the injuries, whether Chilobo was fit, whether Christensen was fit, whether Ziach would play a part. But um given all those injuries you felt maybe he really was desperate to give a break to Thiago Silva. Chilobo clearly wasn't fit. He wanted to give minutes maybe to Kennedy. And he said that he saw something uh, in Loftus' cheek in training uh, that made him indicate that he could potentially play a centre-back, given maybe his build, his height. It was surprising. I thought it was a joke at first when I saw um, some couple leaked um, uh, news that um, he was starting in the lineup at right centre-back or even in the middle of the back three. But um, to be fair on him, he did a great job. He really grew into the game. He probably my man of the match. I know that the stats indicate that maybe Werner was the man of the match, but I don't really look at stats. I look at individual performances and he was the man of the match. He was commanding. He was playing in an unnatural position. He put in what was probably the ball of the season for Werner for the second goal and the equalizer. Something maybe you'd expect from a David Luiz back in the day, yeah. but it was a sublime pass. Um, other bits of the lineup, I think Saul Jorginho was expected for, the, for those, both those players to start. I thought maybe you'd give a bit of a uh, break to Mason Mount given that he played a large part of the cup final on uh, yeah. on Sunday, but he featured alongside uh, Lukaku and um, Werner who were expected to start in my opinion and Kepper in goal, I think was a no brainer. He's our cup, uh, cup keeper. He probably wanted a game to redeem himself after not even redeem, but just get his confidence, maybe back up after, after a Sunday's um, penalty miss. And to be fair on him, the two goals couldn't do much about them. They were already his fault. And other than that, it was a pretty, um, normal performance for him. He dealt with every shot that was on target or any cross that he needed to catch. So credit to him, but no lineup was 
not that surprising other than the loftus cheek in um, in defence. Yeah, I thought he'd done. I mean, he, he was a, a bit of a shaky start for Ruben yeah. Loftus Cheek, but to be expected when you, you're not a natural centre back, that isn't your role. Um, I think Thomas Sukul even mentioned today, you know, like, like you just said, he grew into the game. He got better as the game went on. The pass was, like you said, David Luiz esque. It was such a, you know, took out the whole defence, took out everyone. Um, and, and, and for Werner to, to finish it the way he did was, was brilliant. Um, it was good to see Kennedy in the team. I thought, you know, um, he did well, I felt. He did. Well. Yeah, it was a, it was a it was a game that you could see that he wanted to take the chance to, to maybe to prove to Tuchel to to the club that you know he has got a place to play in Chelsea. Um, and I thought he done really well when he was on. I thought Sound Gez, I thought it, it's a, it's a strange one because I'd I'd love to see more of him, but I just don't know if we're going to get to see it in mm. the next you know a uh, couple of months. And even you know, is, does he stay? Do do we buy him? I don't know. But when he plays the way he did against Luton, impressive. It, yeah, it was impressive. Yeah, it tells me there's a player in there that can. Uh, okay, yes, it's Luton who are doing very well in the championship. I think they're six or fifth or six in the championship, but they're doing really well. And he just he just looked like a, a natural Chelsea player. It was really good to see of him. But Malang saw. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where to start. I mean, like I said before, we came on. I was ill. I wasn't very well. I was struggling to stay awake, and. I just thought I'm not watching this for the second half. I can't stay awake and watch Malang saw the the first goal. The first goal, okay, fair enough. You know he's not the tallest um, set piece. Okay, I can give that one away. But the second one, I mean, you either you've either got to be offside, get get the player offside, or you've got to be, make sure that he you stop him from scoring. And he did neither. He, he he kind of tried to make sure he was offside, and then he realised he wasn't. He played him on, so he tried. He just it was just awful. And and not just those two mistakes. I think we could you know I could pick out plenty more but I just mm. and I don't like to pick up you know, uh, errors in, in any player um, but it's weird because he has two or three good games and then he'll give you this really rubbish game in between those games as well yeah it's harsh on the long side because I feel very early on in his Chelsea career we were already there to scapegoat him judge him quite mm. early and you have to bear in mind he's coming to a new country a new league a new system a new manager and before that performance against Luton if I'm to be honest, he's been very good. That game, league game he played against Brentford, those cup games against Spurs, very impressive at centre-back or left-back. So I think it was just a bit of a blip performance from him. Of course, he's no Rudiger, he's no Thiago Silva, he's no Christensen, but he is an option to have in the squad. And these type of cup games probably do is probably when you do trust him to play. But I agree, it was a poor, poor performance from um, from uh, Melangsar. Hudson-Odoi for me was very, very poor. Mm. Couldn't get past Luton players. The decision making was awful. Played about sixty-two minutes. I'm going to put stats up here: zero key passes, zero dribbles, zero shots on target, zero accurate crosses, zero duels won, zero tackles, zero interceptions, <laughs> zero percentage of uh, crossing accuracy, and zero percentage of shooting accuracy. I'm thinking. I don't. I don't like looking too much into stats. But if all of those are noughts or zeros, then what did he do? What did he do? And what do you think's next for him? Because I mean, he's twenty-one. He's he's a player that has been around this, the senior team for enough time to not to say he's, he's got a stake in you know starting all, all games or majority of games, but I, I feel like his um, development hasn't been as good as say a Mesa Mount or yes they play different positions, but you know uh, a Reese James, uh, a Trevor Chalabar, these players who've come through the youth system and they've been able to sort of cement themselves into the, the first team a bit more regular place. Um, Callum Hudson-Odoi doesn't seem to do that. You know, we're mm. talking about, I think this is his third manager that he's been playing under now. 
um, maybe four, but I think three. Fourth, Conte, Sari, Lampard. Yeah, and uh, Tuchel. Tuchel. Yeah, so he doesn't seem to be in the manager's mind as, yes, this is someone who I need to, to get in the team. We need to work around him. He's 21. So I don't want to say that he doesn't, you know, he's relatively still young in terms of football. Can you see him being one of those players? We talk about a lot on here, Deadwood players, you know, the Drinkwalkers, Barclays. Do we need to start considering putting Callum Hudson-Odoi's name on that list? I'm not saying, I still think he's a very, very talented player, but maybe one of those players where the, the hype and the attention was brought to him very fed yeah. way too early. You look at Josh McEachern's and Gal Kakutas, they yeah, were yeah. kind of dubbed the next big things and look where they are now in their careers. I wouldn't be able to even tell you where they're playing football, probably in the championship or second division in France. But, um, but no, I'm not saying that Hudson Adoy is a McEachern or Kakuta because I know he's a lot more talented than that. But maybe that side of him that where he did it wasn't he didn't get a loan to the championship or a lower Premier League team. He didn't maybe benefit from that. You look at Abraham, Mount, Reese James, Tomori, they all had championship loans. They all had Premier League loans. And look where they are now. They're they're playing some brilliant football. But maybe Hudson Atoy could have had a loan maybe in that um after his um his uh, his ACL injury. Uh another side of me just wants to say he just needs to be consistent, consistent in his performances. He has three, four amazing games, then he just drops off for a month or two. And that game against Luton did him no favours. That was his chance maybe to get back into the team to prove the manager that I should be starting ahead of a Pulisic, maybe even a Ziyech. But he did himself no favours. And if he can't do, you know, put in a good performance against Luton, do you trust him to play in the big games against the Cities, the Uniteds, yeah. the the Liverpools? Probably not. Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, for me, I think, you know, you, you think back to when, I think it was Bayern Munich were coming in for him, you know, mm. sort of sniffing around for him. <laughs> I, I look at that and I'm sure that was a loan. I can't remember if it was a, a loan at first and then they, or they vice versa, they tried to buy him and then they wanted to loan him. Um, but maybe that would have been the answer. Maybe go into the Bundesliga and, and, and play in there for a season or half a season. That would have been the answer for him. I think maybe just, just to maybe experience a bit more first team football. Cause I agree with you. I think he's a really good player. I think he's got a lot of good qualities about him, but that decision-making that final third, you know, that, that, clinical pass that cross into the box it's never there it's never on you know it's 20 touches before he's decided what he wants to do and I just think you know play, especially playing in the Premier League you know playing in the Champions League you just don't have that amount of time to to think about you know passing the ball you should be thinking about what you're going to do before what you're going to do with the ball before you received it mm. so you, you just don't have that time to do that and to, you know, to be fair on him he's he's i'd say about 50 or 40 percent of his games under Tuchel have been at, have been at right wing back can you they have they have that's can you point. expect a lot from him in that from that position it's not natural back. to him but then like you said you know he's played under three other managers who didn't necessarily play him at right back and he still hasn't really shown you anything in his natural position when he does play Again, it's a, you know it's, it's it's one good game, two bad games, mm. and then you'll get another good game out of him. So it's just like you said, it's not consistent. There isn't any consistency yeah. when he plays, and you know, like we just said, you know, Ruben Loftus cheek played centre back, and he still played very well. You know, okay, he took a while to grow into the game, but he, you know, at least he know, we know that you know, worst case scenario, we can put Ruben Loftus cheek. You get someone sent off, and we've got no centre backs on the mm. bench. We know we've got Ruben Loftus cheek that, that can play there. So. I don't know. I think maybe, like I said, he's 21. He's still relatively young, but I just think, you know, against a team like Luton, I expect him to, to at least do something like, like Lukaku, you know, Lukaku, we've been on his back. He got a goal, albeit a very easy goal. I'd be surprised if he didn't score that, but 
It's the type of goal you want him to score, though. He was in the right place at the right time. He got the service from Werner. It's a typical Lukaku goal, and he hasn't really been showing that this season. He's been ahead of the ball or behind the ball, or but not level with the ball. And finally, he got that goal. Uh, he was just hoping he'd bring that into the t- couple of games after the the Club World Cup, and that Palace yeah. performance did him no favours. But uh, he just needs to be a bit more connected to the player that um, offers him that ball, which was Werner in this case. And I was just going to quickly mention Timo Werner and Lukaku, how those goals were so important to them. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we criticised Werner a lot this season and he's got he's only got one league goal. But I saw some stats. 12 games started this season, seven goals, four assists. So that's 11 goal involvements in 12 starts for Chelsea this season, which mm-hmm. isn't too bad. No, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. I think, you know, I think we... Um... You know, we are quick to criticise players, but we forget the other things that they do. Mm. You know, like you just said around the assists as well. So it, it is good, of course. Um, I'm, I'm happy for both of them. You know, yeah, I think they both, needed, they both needed that. Um, they both needed the goals, the confidence. Um, although in my predicted lineup, I haven't got Lukaku in there. But oh, really? Yeah, but the, and I'll tell you why shortly. But um, I, I just think, you know, just for, Burn- for Burnley, the Burnley for, game, is that right? For the yeah. Burnley game, yeah, sorry, yeah. But um, just because I don't think, just because he scores, it doesn't mean he no. gets back into the team straight away. It doesn't work like that, you know. But um, just before we move off the FA Cup, obviously we know we've got Middlesbrough in the next round. Um, big game, big game. Tough game, bit, tough game. Yeah, you know, Riverside away. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously we've got history of Middlesbrough um, it, it, previously as well. So um, what's your thoughts on, on that? I think you said originally you, you take Middlesbrough, I think you said. No, I didn't. I don't think that was, was it, me. Was it, was it Everton? I said I'd, I'd rather have played a, a Palace, a a Palace, Palace, Forest. A Palace, Everton, or um, maybe a Forest or even yeah, yeah. Uh, who's the other team? Southampton maybe. But I was wanting to avoid Borough. You look at their last two games, they've knocked out United and Tottenham. They've got nothing to lose. They're the underdogs in these games. They probably relish the opportunity to play Chelsea and the Riverside. Mm. I think it's going to be a very tough game. And if we play anywhere near like we played against Plymouth or Luton against Borough, mm. we're not going to see that semi-final at Wembley. Forget it. So we've got to be at the top of our game if we want to um, get through to the semis. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be really well, tough as well. It's going to be tough. But um, let's, let's move over to the Premier League. Because obviously we've got a big game. As much as people are going to say it's not, it's a massive game against Burnley at Turf Moor. It's going to be a difficult game to go to. Um, off the back of the Luton performance and um, the, the final on, on Sunday just gone, I, I do expect a massive uplift. And I know there's off-field antics going on at the moment with the club, but you would expect a good performance from, from this bunch of players now to, to just try and kick on with the season. But what do you expect against Burnley? It's going to, it's going to be tough. I absolutely hate playing Burnley. Absolutely hate it. They lost to Leicester in the last picture 2-0. Mm. Watch them get like a jammy 2-1-1 draw with us. <laughs> a Dwight McNeil goal probably in the last like 20 minutes. It'll be typical. They're just Sean Dyche just knows how to play against the big teams. Sit back, mm. defend, and then get a goal on the counter like they did at Stamford Bridge back in November. I'm expecting a very tough game. I think it will feel like a huge three points if we win on yeah. a Saturday or tomorrow, Brentford style and um, Watford style this season, because you, you play in those lower league teams. They know how to defend, they know how to sit back. And I think Burnley are the experts at doing that. Uh, tough, more never easy stadium to go to. They've picked up points there against um, United and Tottenham recently, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 
it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But at the same time, if you want to be in a finish respectively in the top four or at least cement that position in third, it's the type of game we need to be winning. We can't afford to draw or drop points. So um, I'm really hoping we can we can get the three points. Yeah, I expect a massive, a, a difficult game. You know, Burnley, knowing that they win this game, gets them out the bottom three. I think I, I think Everton have got games in hand against them, but still a massive, mentally yeah. still a good thing. If you're out the bottom three, it, it kind of can kick you on. So every game Burnley are playing now is almost a final to them. You know, they, they're, they're probably treating it like that. Um, so, yeah, I expect a, a very, very difficult game. Um It'd be interesting to see what Thomas Tuchel does. Um, for me personally, my, my lineup that I went with, um, was very, very much, very much the, the cup final, um, to be fair. Mending goal, um, Reese James. I'll just share it. I'm not going to read it out. Do we, do we have, do we have any injuries around, um, no, well, the um, only, updates on the injuries? It's just Aspiaqueta. So Aspiaqueta is probably not likely to, to play or start. So you would expect Therese James, who, um, who came on on Wednesday, I think as well, mm-hmm. didn't he? So he should be able to come in and fill that void. Yeah. And obviously the, the big one, Chilwell being out, but uh, I think he said Hakim Ziyech, sorry, him, Thomas Tuchel said, uh, Hakim Ziyech and, Someone like Thiago Silva, because I think okay. Thiago Silva was um He didn't travel to Luton, did he? Yeah, that was it. So they're they're the only two um that are back in trains. So it's just us be Equator, really. But I went and I went with this. What about sorry sorry to interrupt, what about Chaloba and Christensen? Do we have any updates on it? both fully fit back in training. Fit. Oh perfect, yeah, yeah. perfect. So so I didn't go I ironically I haven't gone with um Chalabar. Chalabar. Oh. I've gone with Christensen. Okay. Um, cause I think it'd be too, I mean, if he's had stitches and that was only six days ago, they can come undone very quickly, can't they? Yeah. Like it only takes the same tackle to, to open that wound back up. So I haven't gone with him, but, um, what I have done is I've pretty much gone with the, the same lineup that we kind of started with, um, in the cup final, I, I, I we're getting to the point now where we, we can technically kind of predict the Chelsea lineup mm. almost, um, Maybe, maybe that's a harsh thing to say because Thomas Tuchel might just switch it up and do four four two or four three three. But I, I, I would go with that front three of Pulisic, Havertz, and Mount. I wouldn't have Lukaku in the team. That's not to say that he doesn't deserve to be in the team. But I think you know we know what Havertz can do in that role, and we know what Pulisic can do off that that left side as well. Um, I am expecting to see a lot more from Mason Mount because. I think you I think you said on Wednesday you messaged me and said I, I didn't realise he was and I didn't the commentator said something about Mason Mount yeah. and I thought I didn't even know he was I, I forgot he was playing I didn't see yeah. him so I expect a lot more from Mason Mount um, I'd expect Silver to be back in he had a full rest on, on mm-hmm. Wednesday obviously Rudiger he's, he's Rudiger um, and Alonso as well didn't, didn't feature so um, you'd expect Mendy Alonso to be back in the team. Kovacic is another doubt for me because I think, does he go with Kovar and Jorginho or does he go with Jorginho and Kante? I don't know. I, I, me personally, I, I wouldn't do that, but I'd go with Kovar and Kante in the mid, midfield. Mm. Um, and then, as I said, you know, my front three would be Pulisic, Havertz and Mount. But what, what would your front three or your, your 11 be? My my lineup's very very similar to yours. Very very similar. Defense would be identical. Keeper, two midfielders. I think same as the cup final, except for James in for the injured Aspi. But I'm going to say something quite controversial. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. It's not Lukaku related. I'd put Loftus Cheek in for one of Mount or Pulisic. 
Oh, okay. I think he, he needs to play higher up the pitch. That's where it suits him best. I think Mount and Pulisic's recent performances haven't really done them any justice, particularly Mounts against Luton and uh, and uh, Liverpool in a cup. Lost his cheeks to come, come out of a, arguably what was for me a man of the match performance, even though it was in an unnatural position. And when he got higher up the pitch, he looked brilliant, dribbling past players, taking on players, penetrating into the penalty box. So I'd start Loftus-Cheek ahead of maybe Mount. And then maybe if, should the game, should we need a goal, we can maybe bring Mount off the bench in the second half. Do you think, because Burnley are very good defensively, mm. especially if they go one up, they are the team. It's like Fort Knox trying to break down their defence. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Do you think Ruben Loftus-Cheek in that position, that front three could do that? Or maybe a Callum Hudson-Odoi who we've just spoken about who's playing at right back and then we've got him, you know, sitting yeah. on the bench. Would you would you rather have Loftus-Cheek there? I think I'd rather Loftus-Cheek than Hudson-Odoi, I think, for this game. Like I said, Loftus-Cheek's numbers against Luton did him no, no favours. And Burnley, they've got some big lads in their team. Yeah, yeah. That, yep. that striker they signed in January, I think from Wolfsburg, is six for six, eight, seven, six for eight, I think, Veghorst or... Yeah. got his name you want as much height as you want to defend for those those crosses and corners and whether Loftus-Cheek wherever he plays he's a big he's a big lad so I, I, I think I want Loftus-Cheek to play tomorrow or play yeah. a part at least yeah it's gonna be it's, it's a good it's a good option it's a good option to have it as well um no Lukaku from either, uh, yep. for either of us. What, what's your reason for it we've played we've played the better football without him more fluid football uh beginning of the league cup that Lille game, I do think it's an interesting option to bring off the bench like we saw against Liverpool. But starting in the first half, I'd rather have Havertz as a false nine. I don't yeah. even want to call him a false nine anymore. I think he's he should he's be grown, on. He's grown into that yeah. role, isn't he? Almost. Definitely. He's, he's looking would more you, comfortable. Yeah. Would you agree with what I said about Lukaku? Or? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely wouldn't start him. Um, you know, he was never... Uh, even after the, the Luton game, uh, even before the Luton game, I still wouldn't start him in a Premier League game. He, he, he's he's a player at the moment for me that can do it in a Club World Cup. He can do it in the FA Cup. But these sort of Premier League games, I don't know what it is, he just doesn't suit him. And it could be just a confidence thing. You know, it's going to be a tough ground to go to. I don't think... You know, Turf Moor is a very tough ground to go to. And I think I think we drew there in November 1-1. So, you know, we're going to have to hit this game on the front foot. We need to take it to Burnley um, and try and get an early goal. And as, as stupid as that sounds, we need to get an early goal and potentially try and get two before the first half's out um, and make sure that we, we, we're tight at the back as well. Because like you just mentioned, they do have attacking threats now. Um, so it is going to be interesting. Um, I don't even know if I'd bring Lukaku on. It depends on how the game's going. Uh, it just really does depend, but I, I, I don't see what he brings to... If, if we're 1-0 down, I don't know what he brings because I, I think, if if anything, it makes our attacking final third mm. very disjointed. If he does if he does start and, they can, and Burnley score first or we don't get a goal, then people are going to say, well, what did he bring to... So it's a, it's a lose-lose for us. I think he just needs to see a few games out in the Premier League, especially, um, and, and maybe start him in the Champions League. I don't yeah. know. Because Lukaku doesn't suit us, the system when teams sit back. Lukaku yeah. plays really well when we play on counter-attacks mm. and we're able to have that possession but play on the counter-attack. And if Burnley, which I'm likely they're likely to do tomorrow, is they'll sit back, they'll yeah. defend. They've got 
what's his, what's his name, Ben Mee, those type of players that will sit back, defend, do the job. And Lukaku, probably, I would not be surprised if he does start tomorrow, he'll probably have another 12 touches of the ball and then get criticised all over social media. So I think it's for the best that we start with a habit to the Pulisic and the Mount or maybe a lot of cheeks. So we have that fluid football where we can do what we need to do around the penalty box. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's end it off as usual with our predictions I'm going to let you go first um, I, th- I think it was 1-1 like, I think in November yeah 1-1 in November uh, Havertz yeah. header and Vidra in the second half equalised for them and I think a 3-0 I'm sure we had 3-0 3-0 last season at Turfmore yeah it was wasn't it go on yeah, go yeah Schwerner and Zuma um, there you go I can't get memory when it comes to score <laughs> <laughs> uh, predictions for tomorrow it's Burnley it's going to be 1-1 you just know it you just know it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to go one nil to Chelsea. Okay. I'm going to go one nil. I can't see it being a high scoring game. Um, I, I think it's going to be very like you just said. If Burnley do sit back and defend, one thing we've struggled with, um, especially more so maybe under Tuchel as well, is is breaking defenses down, and we just struggle with that. And if they do do that, I, I think it's going to be. It's going to be a very cagey game. I think what we have to make sure is that we defend because if they do hit us on a counter attack, we have to be ready. We, we, you know, we can't be like Luton and just being exposed. And yes, we had makeshift centre back Loftus Cheek, but but still, we have to be um, we have to, we have to be um, yeah, just ready ready for whatever happens. Ready for whatever's going to be be part of that game. Um, I'm going to go one nil, one nil. Low scores for both of us then. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But as always, Theo, thank you very much for joining me. Um, this has been episode 55, hasn't it? From 55. the Shed End podcast. Yep. So if anyone's listening, um, YouTube from the Shed End, Instagram, you can see it all on, on, on the screen as well. But if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you find us on Instagram from the Shed End with underscores between each of the words on Twitter from the Shed End as well. This has been episode 55. Until next time, stay safe and hopefully we get three points against Burnley. <laughs>